Hello everyone, your host Ariel here with a very quick note. My editor, Scott Hill, and I started Fairy Tale as a passion project and as an escape for people in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, well, times are what they are, and we'd both really appreciate it. You'd honestly rock our friggin' socks. If uh, you could stop by our Ko-Fi, K-O-F-I, or Patreon to support us in helping us to continue to bring you these episodes. Uh, you can find those at ko-fi.com slash chaos, C-H-A-O-S underscore Lily, L-I-L-L-Y, or you can donate to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash chaos Lily creations, C-H-A-O-S-L-I-L-L-Y-C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S. If you can't, don't worry, that's fine. We'll leave me, we get it. Just leave a quick rating and review to help us get noticed on whatever platform you're listening on. Tell a friend, share us around. Really, if you could just help get the word out, that would be fantastic. We love you all. Stay safe, be well, and let's see what chaos lies in store this episode. Hi, everyone. My name's Ariel. Yes, really. And uh, this is Fairy Tales. I guess. <laughs> okay, so this is starting as a test. I was listening to Morbid, a true crime podcast. I recommend if you're into that sort of thing. And um, I'm part of the chat group out there. And, uh, someone suggested I try reading old fairy tales and jazz. And, well, it's corona season. So, I guess I'll do something while I'm, you know, under self-appointed quarantine. You will hear pages turning, um, as the copy of Hans Christian Andersen's uh, fairy tales that I have is indeed a hardcover. So let's see here. Well, I may as well start with the first one, which is The Emperor's New Clothes. Many, many years ago lived an emperor who thought so much of new clothes that he spent all his money in order to obtain them. His only ambition was to be always well dressed. He did not care for his soldiers, and the theater did not amuse him. The only thing, in fact, he thought anything of was to drive out and show a new suit of clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day, and as one would say of the king, he is in his cabinet, so no one could save him. The emperor is in his dressing room. The great city where he resided was very gay. Every day many strangers from all parts of the globe arrived. One day, two swindlers came to the city. They made people believe they were weavers and declared they could manufacture the finest cloth to be imagined. Their colors and patterns, they said, were not only exceptionally beautiful, but the clothes made of their materials possessed the wonderful quality of being invisible to any man who was unfit for his office or unpardonably stupid. That must be a wonderful cloth, thought the emperor. If I were to be addressed in a suit made of this cloth, I should be able to find out which men in my empire were unfit for their places, and I could distinguish the clever from the stupid. 
I must have this cloth woven for me without delay. And he gave a large sum of money to the swindlers in advance that they should set to work without any loss of time. They set up two looms and pretended to be very hard at work, but they did nothing whatever on the looms. They asked for the finest silk and the most precious gold cloth. All they got they did away with and worked at the empty looms till late at night. I should very much like to know how they are getting on with the cloth, thought the emperor, but he felt rather uneasy when he remembered that he who was not fit for his office could not see it. Personally, he was of opinion that he had nothing to fear, yet he thought it advisable to send somebody else first to see how matters stood. Everyone in town knew what a remarkable quality the stuff possessed, and all were anxious to see how bad or stupid their neighbors were. I shall send my honest old minister to the weavers, thought the emperor. He can judge how best the stuff looks, for he's intelligent, and nobody understands his office better than he. The good old minister went into the room where the swindlers sat before the empty looms. Heaven preserve us, he thought, and opened his eyes wide. I cannot see anything at all. But he did not say so. Both swindlers requested him to come near, and asked him if he did not admire the exquisite pattern and the beautiful colors pointing to the empty looms. The poor old minister tried his very best, but he could see nothing, for there was nothing to be seen. Oh dear, he thought, can I be so stupid? I should never have thought so, and nobody must know it. Is it possible that I am not fit for my office? No, no, I cannot say I was unable to see the cloth. "'Now, have you got nothing to say?' said one of the swindlers, while he was pretending to be busily weaving. "'Oh, it is very pretty, exceedingly beautiful,' replied the old minister through his glasses, or looking through his glasses. "'What a beautiful pattern! What brilliant colors! I shall tell the emperor I like the cloth very much.' "'We are pleased to hear that,' said the two weavers, and described to him the colors and explained the curious pattern.' The old minister listened attentively that he might relate to the emperor what they said, and so he did. Now the swindlers asked for more money, silk and gold cloth, which they required for weaving. They kept everything for themselves, and not a thread came near the loom, but they continued, as hitherto, to work at the empty looms. Soon afterwards the emperor sent another honest courtier to the weavers to see how they were getting on, and if the cloth was nearly finished. Like the old minister, he looked and looked, but could see nothing, as there was nothing to be seen. "'Is it not a beautiful piece of cloth?' asked the two swindlers, showing and explaining the magnificent pattern, which, however, did not exist. "'I am not stupid,' said the man. "'It is therefore my good appointment for which I am not fit. It is very strange, but I must not let anyone know it.' And he praised the cloth, which he did not see, and expressed his joy at the beautiful colors and fine pattern. It is very excellent, he said to the emperor. Everybody in the whole town talked about the precious cloth. At last the emperor wished to see it himself, while it was still on the loom. With a number of courtiers, including the two who had already been there, he went to the two clever swindlers, who now worked as hard as they could, but without using any thread. Is it not magnificent? said the two old statesmen, who had been there before. Your majesty must admire the colors and the pattern and then they pointed to the empty looms, for they imagined the others could see the cloth. "'What is this?' thought the emperor. "'I do not see anything at all. That is terrible. Am I stupid? Am I unfit to be emperor? That would indeed be the most dreadful thing that could happen to me.' "'Really,' he said, turning to the weavers, "'your cloth has our most gracious approval.' 
and, nodding attentively, he looked at the empty room, for he did not like to say that he saw nothing. All his attendants, who were with him, looked and looked, and although they could not see anything more than the others, they said, like the emperor, it is very beautiful, and all advised him to wear the magnificent clothes at a great procession which was soon to take place. It is magnificent, beautiful, excellent, one heard them say. Everybody seemed to be delighted, and the emperor appointed the two swindlers imperial court weavers. The whole night previous to the day on which the procession was to take place, the swindlers pretended to work, and burned more than sixteen candles. People should see that they were busy to finish the emperor's new suit. They pretended to take the cloth from the loom, and worked about in the air with big scissors, and sewed with needles without thread, and said at last, the emperor's new suit is ready now. The emperor and all his barons then came into the hall. The swindlers held their arms up as if they held something in their hands and said, These are the trousers, this is the coat, here is the cloak, and so on. They are all as light as cobweb, and one must feel as if one has nothing at all upon the body. But that is just the beauty of them. Indeed, said all the courtiers, but they could not see anything, for there was nothing to be seen. "'Does it please your majesty now to graciously undress,' said the swindlers, "'that we may assist your majesty in putting on the new suit before the large looking-glass?' The emperor undressed, and the swindlers pretended to put the new suit on him, one piece after another, and the emperor looked at himself in the glass from every side. "'How well you look! How well they fit!' said all. "'What a beautiful pattern! What fine colors! That is a magnificent suit of clothes!' The master of the ceremonies announced that the bearers of the canopy, which was to be carried in the procession, were ready. "'I am ready,' said the emperor. "'Does not my suit fit me marvelously?' Then he turned once more in the looking-glass, that people should think he admired his garments. The chamberlains, who were to carry the train, stretched their hands to the ground as if they lifted up a train, and pretended to hold something in their hands. They did not like people to know they could not see anything.' The emperor marched in the procession under the beautiful canopy, and all who saw him in the street, and out of the window exclaimed, Indeed, the emperor's new clothes are incomparable. What a long train he has! How well it fits him! Nobody wished to let others know that he saw nothing, for then he would have been unfit for his office, or too stupid. Never an emperor's clothes were more admired. But he has nothing on at all, said a little child at last. "'Good heavens! Listen to the voice of an innocent child,' said the father, and one whispered to another what the child had said. "'But he has nothing on at all!' cried at last the whole people. That made a deep impression upon the emperor, for it seemed to him that they were right. But he thought to himself, "'Now I must bear up to the end,' and the chamberlains walked with still greater dignity, as if they carried the train which did not exist. THE ROSE ELF in the midst of a garden grew a rose-tree, upon it were many, many roses. In one of them, the most beautiful of all, lived an elf. He was so very small that no human eye could perceive him. Behind every petal of the rose he had a bedroom. No child could have been more beautifully formed than he was. He had wings that reached from his shoulders down to his feet. All his rooms were so sweet and fragrant. The walls were so bright and beautiful, for they consisted of the pink rose petals. All day long the rose-elf enjoyed himself in the warm sunshine, flying from flower to flower, and dancing on the wings of the fluttering butterfly. 
one day he measured how many steps he would have to take in order to pass through all the roads and paths which were on a single leaf of the lime tree they were what we call the veins of the leaf to him they seemed to be endless roads before he had finished the sunset he had begun his task too late it became very cold dew fell and the wind was blowing at this time he would have been best at home he hastened as much as he could but his rose was closed up he could not enter not a single rose was open the poor little elf was very frightened he never before been out of doors at night as he had always sweetly slumbered behind the warm rose petals this would mean certain death to him the elf knew that at the other end of the garden stood a summer-house covered all with beautiful honeysuckle the blossoms looked like large painted horns in one of them he thought he might enter and sleep until the next morning thither he flew but hush two people were sitting in the summer-house a handsome young man and a beautiful girl they sat side by side and wished that they need never part they loved one another so much much more indeed than the best child would have loved his father or mother alas we must part said the young man your brother dislikes me and that is why he sends me on an errand so far away over mountains and seas farewell my own dear love for that you will always be to me then they kissed each other and the girl cried and gave him a rose but before she gave it to him she so ardently pressed it to her lips that the flower opened now the little elf flew into it and rested his head against the fine fragrant walls there he could hear very well how they bade farewell to each other he felt that the young man placed the rose on his breast oh how his heart was beating the little elf could not fall asleep it throbbed so much the rose did not long remain undisturbed on his breast the young man while he walked through the dark forest took it out and kissed it so often and so passionately that the little elf was almost crushed he could feel through the leaf how hot the young man's lips were and the rose had opened its petals as if the strongest midday sun were shining on it then came another man sullen and wicked he was the malicious brother of the beautiful girl he drew out a dagger and while the other fondly kissed the rose stabbed him to death then he cut off the head from the body and buried the rose in the soft ground under a lime tree now he's gone and forgotten thought the murderer he will never return again he was to set out on a long journey over mountains and across the sea on such an expedition a man might easily lose his life and he has lost it he will never come back and my sister dare not ask me what has become of him thus thinking he scraped dry leaves together with his foot heaped them on the soft mould and went home in the darkness of the night but he was not alone as he imagined for the little elf was with him he had seated himself in a dry rolled-up leaf of the lime-tree which had fallen on the wicked man's hair while he was digging the grave he had put his hat on now it was very dark inside the hat and the elf was trembling with horror and indignation at the evil deed in the dawn of the morning the murderer reached home he took off his hat and entered his sister's bedroom there the beautiful girl with rosy cheeks was sleeping and dreaming of him who she loved so dearly and whom she supposed now to travel over mountains and across the sea the unnatural brother bent over the girl and laughed hideously as only evil demons can laugh the dry leaf dropped out of his hair onto her counterpane but he did not notice it and went out of the room to have a little sleep in the early morning hours the elf left his resting place and slipped into the ear of the sleeping girl and told her as in a dream the horrible deed 
He described the spot where her lover was stabbed and where his body was interred. He told her of the blooming lime tree standing close by and said, "'That you should not think all I told you is only a dream. You will find on your bed on awakening a dry leaf.' And when she awoke, she really found it. Then she cried bitterly. The window was open all day long. The little elf might have easily returned to the roses and the other flowers in the garden, but he had not the heart to leave the unfortunate girl. On the window-sill stood a bunch of monthly roses in a flower-pot. In one of its blooms the elf sat down and looked at the poor girl. Her brother came several times into the room, and in spite of his crime seemed quite cheerful, and she had not the courage to say a word about her grief. No sooner had the night come than she stole out of the house and went into the wood, to the spot where the lime-tree stood. She removed the dry leaves from the ground, turned the earth up, and found her murdered sweetheart and she wept bitterly. She prayed God that she might also die. She would have gladly taken the body home with her, but that was impossible. So she took up the pale-faced head with closed eyes, kissed the cold lips, and shook the earth out of its beautiful curls. I will at least keep this, she said. When she had replaced the mold and dried leaves on the body, she took the head and a little bough of jasmine bush growing near the spot where the body was buried and returned home. Upon reaching her room, she took the largest flower-pot she could find, put the head into it, covered it over with mold, and planted therein the jasmine bough. "'Farewell, farewell,' whispered the little elf, unable to witness any longer her grief and pain. He then returned to his rose in the garden, but the rose was faded, only a few withered petals were still clinging to the green stalk. "'Oh, how soon all that is beautiful and good vanishes,' sighed little elf." At last he found a new rose and made it his home. Under the shelter of its tender and fragrant petals he could abide in safely. Every morning he flew to the window of the poor girl, and every morning he found her crying by the flower-pot. Her tears fell upon the jasmine bough, and day by day, in the same measure as she grew paler, the bough became fresher and greener. One shoot after another sprang up. Many little white buds burst forth, and she kissed them. The heartless brother scolded her and asked her if she had lost her senses, for he did not like to see her crying over the flower-pot, and he could not make out why she did it. He had no idea whose closed eyes, whose red lips, were decaying in the flower-pot. One day the little rose-elf found her slumbering and resting with her head on the flower-pot. He slipped into her ear and told her of the evening in the summer-house, of the sweet smell of the rose, and of the love of rose-elves. She dreamed so sweetly, and with her dream her life passed away. She died a calm and peaceful death. She had gone to heaven with him whom she loved. And the jasmine unfolded its buds into large white flowers, and filled the air with its peculiarly sweet fragrance. It could not otherwise give vent to its grief for the dread girl. The wicked brother took the beautiful jasmine bush as his inheritance, carried it into his bedroom, and placed it close by his bed, for it was delightful to look at, and its fragrance was very pleasant. The little rose elf followed. He flew from flower to flower, for in each of them lived a little elf, and told them of the murdered young man, whose head was decaying beneath the mold, and of the wicked brother and the poor sister. "'We know all about it,' replied the little elves. "'We know it, for have we not sprung forth from the eyes and lips of the dead man's face?' "'We know,' they repeated, nodding their heads in a strange manner. The rose elf could not understand why they remained so calm. 
he flew out to the bees which were gathering honey and told them the story of the wicked brother the bees told their queen and the queen ordered that they should all go in the next morning to kill the murderer but when it was night the first night after his sister's death while the brother was sleeping close by the fragrant jasmine bush in his bed all the flowers opened and all the little invisible elves came out armed with venomous spears and seated themselves in his ears and told him terrible dreams then they flew on to his lips and stabbed his tongue with their poisonous weapons now we have avenged the dead they said and returned to their white flowers when on the next morning the window of the bedroom was opened the rose elf and the whole swarm of bees with their queen entered to carry out their revenge but he was already dead people standing around the bed said the smell of the jasmine has killed him the rose elf understood the revenge of the flowers and told the queen of the bees about it who with her whole swarm was humming around the flower-pot the bees could not be driven away from it and when at last a man took up the pot a bee stung him on the hand so that he dropped it and it broke to pieces then all saw the bleached skull and understood the dead man in the bed was a murderer the queen of the bees hummed and sang of the revenge of the flowers and of the rose elf and said that behind the smallest leaf dwells one who can disclose evil deeds and revenge them well that second one is uh the first time i've ever heard that particular one and uh a little dark i probably should consider putting a warning ahead of this saying that uh this might not be suitable for children at least the second half isn't Anyway, I'll probably upload this to the morbid chat and we'll go from there. Thanks so much for listening. If I had any pluggables, I'd plug them, but this was kind of spur of the moment. If you want to say hi, drop a line to Chaos Lily Cosplay. That's probably the first and best place you can reach me. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. Stay healthy. its peculiarly sweet fragrance.